better, smarter, faster. The neural network needed to power the digital ecosystem of healthcare is poised to transform care both inside and outside of hospital walls in traditional care settings. Meaningful data analytics positioned in real time to drive better diagnostics, intelligent operations, seamless care coordination, and integrated telehealth. This is the future of connected healthcare. We talk to the experts about transformational roadmaps for this evolving landscape, what's working, what's needed, and how we get there together. Welcome to Healthcare On Air, presented by Verizon. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Healthcare On Air by Verizon. I'm your host, Leah Sims, Marketing Strategy Lead for Verizon's Healthcare and Life Sciences Practice. We are recording from the HIMSS show floor, HIMSS 2023 in Chicago in the Verizon booth. If you're down here at HIMSS, uh, check us out. Come by Ver booth 4048. We've got some solutions to share with you and some great demos. Um, joined today by Chief Innovation and Digital Health Officer from Michigan State University, Dr. Roger Jansen, and my colleague, Karen Finger, who is an innovation principal with Verizon's healthcare practice. Welcome, guys. It's great to see you. Thanks. Yes, thanks for having me. Dr. Jansen, we're so glad to have you. I'm excited <laughs> here. to be here. I can already tell it's <laughs> going to be a fun time. I, I wish we had been recording uh, prior to now. That's all right. To pick up on a oh-so-fun conversation. But um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, innovation-wise at MSU and what, what you do there. Yeah, so, uh, you know, healthcare, as you can see by this conference, is full of people who are trying to innovate. Um, it's a difficult space for people to innovate in because we're so regulated, but we're also such habit makers. And we also have everyone who's quote unquote an expert. Right. And so to innovate expertise is not always the easiest thing to do. So what we're trying to do is set and change a culture and a mindset first, that we can do things differently than we've done them. And it's not an indictment on the past, but it's about excitement and for the future. Yep. And to do that, you need to get some small wins. So one of the things that I start out with, with our innovation projects and our digital health projects are, what are our clinicians and what are our patients most likely to find value in? And so we've launched some things that we think have been, let's say game changing, but they've been transformative in terms of the mindset that we've adopted. So I think one of the things people rush into when they're trying to make innovation work is just throwing a bunch of stuff out there and saying, look at this cool tech, or look yeah. how this works or that works. But they haven't prepped the kitchen for the recipe that people are you know, gonna try to make this thing with. And instead, they bring the final dish out, and at the end of the day, people don't want it. And so we're building this culture of we need to innovate, not because innovation is important or cool, but because innovation is about taking better care and delivering better outcomes, not just for our patients, but for our clinicians. And I think that's really important that they're included. So anytime I'm launching something, it's about co-creation yeah. versus dictate, dictating what we're going to do or telling people, look at the great idea I have. It's really about building it together. That's great. Karen, tell everybody what you do. Yeah, so um, I'm on our healthcare innovation domains team. And so our team, I'm one of our practice leaders around connected health and building connected health ecosystems. And we work with health systems, payers, med tech companies, retail health to really look at, you said co-creation, that's exactly what we say. We, we are looking to co-create with our healthcare stakeholder partners and our strategic technology partners as well um, to really align with, you know, how do we take all the vast assets and capabilities that Verizon has across 5G, edge infrastructure, 
you know, our wireless wireline portfolios, um, all, you know, it's a massive portfolio. Yeah, yeah everywhere. Even, yeah. even our just we our distribution channels. Yeah. I know our partner ecosystem, our innovation labs. Right. How do we bring that together to solve those complex problems yeah. in healthcare across, you know, extending access, experience, improving costs, improving quality overall, the, you know, hitting the right. quadruple aim. You know, it's funny you say, so, about you know how do you how do you get started? It's kind of what I heard you. Yeah. And and even as we see all the technologies and innovation here, and a lot of our our healthcare partners and clients say like, where do we start? We can't solve world hunger. So right. it's kind of like, what are your top two pain points? Let's pick yeah. something yeah. and and Let's do it. it. And then yeah. once you do one thing, it, you get gain momentum, you gain yeah. credibility, you gain the trust, and you gain yeah. momentum, and you get excitement and yeah. it builds. And what I love about Verizon is because you guys are everywhere yeah. and people are walking around with your phones and with your technology, right. we're really at a spot where we can see the ability to work with you on different levels, right? Because right. people trust you. Yep. Um, you're already a part of their ecosystem. Um, you're already technology based. So there's a lot of reasons to think about, you know, even how does Verizon help us with some of these things. Right. Absolutely. So you just spoke, I think, right before you got here. Yeah. <laughs> you were yep. you were on the HIMSS program today talking about the challenges and opportunities in a post-COVID health system. There's a, a lot to talk about there for sure. Yeah. We're emerging from the pandemic, I think everybody can agree, and we're, you know, obviously the PHE's coming to an end, and, um, you know, we, we're now left with a new version yeah. of healthcare, right? Um, what have we learned? through this period of time that's going to propel care delivery forward? Yeah. Some, some hard earned learnings, I think, in the last couple years? Yeah, it's funny, that that's a great question. And I think, I think there's been learning, but I also think there's regression back to the mean. Yeah. And, you know, I think the natural habits of how we were trained and what we've built and, you know, we have buildings set up and offices set up and doctors' rooms set up in a certain way. And the pandemic didn't come in and change those things. And so once we're back in them, we're starting to fall back in those behavioral patterns. Yeah. And so I think one of the things the pandemic did help us with is we need to think about where we see patients. So that's one thing. But probably the most important thing, at least for us, is how do we stratify patients actually? So when you think about who actually needs to come in for a visit, you know, not all visits are created equally, right? right. So somebody coming in for a sports physical, may not be as important as somebody coming in who we know has just had you know, their last chemotherapy treatment or has been diagnosed with some, or self-diagnosed maybe with some type of lump. Uh, and so how we see those patients has been one of the ways that we've changed and improved. And I think that's really, really important. We've also created, I think, an opportunity to look at how we use technology. And so when we started in the pandemic and we didn't know what this thing was or what it was going to be, we still had to see people, but we had to close down. And yet people still need to come in. So we worked with a company called Higgy to actually launch remote patient monitoring with them. And it's been wildly successful. What it's allowed us to do is have insights when the patient's not with us, understanding when they may need to come in, when they don't need to come in. Is there something that's out of pattern that we need to give them a call about and check in? And so using that technology has allowed us to then talk about what else can we do at home? And so now we're introducing another company to do mental health with us. We're introducing another company to do physical therapy. So we don't want people to have to come in uh, who could do this at home. So I think one of the things it has taught us is that care doesn't always need to be on site. Right. And we can do things digitally in a way that we probably wouldn't have adopted quite as quickly without the pandemic. 
Well, and prior to the pandemic, <clears throat> if you think about it, probably still in a lot of ways, there's such a long gap of time between one conversation with your clinician and yeah. the next, right? Like we, could, yeah. I mean, unless you have a you know really consistently uh, managed chronic disease, you're talking to your your caregiver all the time. Um, most of us go <laughs> a, a long yeah. period of time between yeah, one the, conversation and the next, and the getting care goes, out closer yeah. to people. Right. Goes two point seven years between you see and your doctor yeah. visit yeah. is the average for the United States citizen. That's crazy. And you spend about twelve minutes with a clinician right. annually. Yeah. So is that really health? And does health really happen inside the office? I'd say it doesn't. Um, you know, there's a great quote, uh, I think it was Muhammad Ali who said, champions aren't made in the ring, they're only recognized there. You know, health is not made in the doctor's office. Yeah. We just tell you what we think is going on there, right? Yeah. And we prescribe yeah. there. But everything else outside of that is really what we're trying to get involved with. But you have to have a view on it. Have to have a view right? on it. They yeah. walk, a patient yeah. walks out of your office and they don't come back for two and a half years. That's right. And you've had no view of no anything view. going on during yeah. that time. So. And we're asking our clinicians to take more and more and more patients on, right? So I think in the United States, the average is roughly 2,500 patients for every primary care doc. I know some systems that I'm very close with that are asking their, their docs to take on 3,200, 3,300, 3,500. Imagine teaching a classroom with 600 kids and expecting them to understand the lesson, each one of them, right? It's just not possible. So in order to scale up and leverage, we've got to find a way to leverage technology much better than what we have. Or to have any relational connection to them at all. I mean, 100%. That, that's out the window for your 3,500 patients that you're 100%. Everybody's yeah. a number then, really. Unfortunately, it, yeah. it does get to that. Karen, thoughts? Um, no, I agree. I mean, the pandemic, you know, it's interesting. Eight to 10 years ago, I was going to these conferences and same, a lot of the same conversations, yep. panel discussions, booths, et cetera, yep. but and it was just moving very slowly. And now post-pandemic, it feels different. I think everything's accelerated and people yeah. are actually starting to execute. Yeah. Um, and the collaboration is much bigger between health systems and the technology companies and what role can technology play to to assist, not replace yeah. the human factor. Yeah. Um, and then the reach, the scale and reach. You mentioned Higgy. I mean, that's, I think, how we met through yeah. them. Yep. And, um, you know, that's an example of how we've, you know, bring them into our ecosystem, help leverage our relationships in the marketplace, um, in the industry, and, and vice versa. It's a two-way street, but helping really them, you know, scale further to, so you can handle a 35 patient 100%. Population, yeah. 100%. Yep. Well, and there's yep. the capabilities yep. now that weren't then. I think we were talking a lot of art of the possible right. five or ten years yeah. ago, right. you know, where AI was concerned. I mean, we certainly couldn't be talking about real-time anything, right. um, you know, in the infrastructure we're talking about with 5G. Now it's a reality. We can do that today, but we couldn't do that five years ago or ten years ago. So it does open a lot of possibilities for use cases to actually become case studies, yeah. I think. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it woke up a lot of, you know, clinicians that were kind of, naysayers on telehealth and telemedicine oh, before yeah. the pandemic yeah. and then they realize oh my god this yeah. is like even like my own parents who my father's a physician my mom's a psychologist she's still practicing and uses um does her visits now telehealth but yeah. before the conversations was no we can never we can't do that it can't be replaced you've got to be in person right yeah love it you'd think think it was their idea now yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. she, i hope she's not gonna listen to the same mom <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, you, uh, yeah. yeah. The wonderful thing you said about her earlier, so it's yeah, all good. It yeah, the best mom that's in the right. world. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Like I said, we should have been recording. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. So on the subject of telehealth, I mean, obviously, you know, huge acceleration of adoption, uh, consumer affinity for it now, which I don't think surprised anybody. You yep. give consumers the convenience of being able to <clears throat> do some of their health care at home or from work and not have to get in a car and go to a doctor's office, all of that. Um, what What is the... Um, how does telehealth, do you think, have the ability to really transform practice models, right? Um, I mean, it's not just a, a backup option, it, yeah. but there is a risk of care going back to that, you know, with, with patients returning to office, coming back to elective surgeries, you know, is it now going to be sort of tucked on a shelf with the exception of things like behavioral health where it's high, high adoption yeah. utilization. But um, what is it going to take for clinical practice to transform where virtual first actually becomes a first offering? Yeah. We don't pull a patient into the office unless they absolutely need to come there. But you have to get off this this model that's been in place for so many years of how we actually yeah. do um, you know, care visits, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think if you had a time machine, you could go back to at least, you know, I was born in 70s, and if I look at that, I don't recall it being much different than it is today. It isn't. <laughs> right? I think maybe their furniture's been a little updated. Yep. And it's the uh, same, yeah. the same flow. I'm not yeah. even sure about the magazines, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's the, the same clipboard. <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah, and you sit in the same waiting room, right? Probably yeah. the same pen. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I don't think that um, we've embraced the possible yet, right? Right. I do think part of that comes back to how we're paid. And, yeah. you yeah. know, the payment model, is still tied to the more you do, the more you get paid. And you can do more with somebody in the office yeah. than you can virtually at this point. Reimbursement, uh, while there was parity for a while, there's no longer you know, that continuation. And so I think you're gonna have to look at new economic models. What I think changes that is when we get into value-based payments, yeah. right? So <clears throat> if the idea here is, hey, if we take better care of people, and we, in some, let's say, value-based or capitated model, it's going to encourage lower-touch opportunities with those patients than what we're currently providing. It's also, in my opinion, going to get us focused on prevention and wellness versus illness and injury. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, isn't that really what we want? You know, we shouldn't measure a health system's success by its revenue or its size. We should measure it by the health not just physical, but social, financial, and mental of the entire community, that it's there really to serve. Yeah. And so I think it's going to take some shifts. But as far as I know, the American dollar is still a really strong motivator for everybody. <laughs> it is. And I think you need to begin to shift how the health systems get paid. Yeah. Reimbursement's a big one. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I would say I, I think it has changed a bit in terms of, like, providers now <clears throat> having, you know, again, my father was internal medicine. And he was able to practice and, and do for his patients, serve his patients the way he wanted to. And yeah. really take, I saw over the years, the more and more burden, the administrative burden yeah. become, totally. you know, add to that and almost take the, the, um, the satisfaction and the motivation out of, out of it. And so, yeah. the, so, so I think though through a lot of, um, so, so we, I see us now moving back to not just thinking about patient experience improvement, but also yeah. provider and yeah. how do we further automate the workflows and a lot of that can be done through the virtual yep. care piece. Uh, I think the value-based model, 
your, to your point, will help bring providers back to practicing care that they want to, you know, owning that care and treating patients yeah. and, and being accountable for their patient population. But it's a catch-22, yeah. right? Because one of the reasons it becomes more burdensome for physicians to practice or clinicians to practice is because they're having to do quality measures reporting, yeah. because they're having to actually show that they're improving patient yeah. care. Well, that's true. And tying yeah. all of those things. Yeah. But I do think the automation piece is key. Like, there, there has to be a way to enable um, clinical practice that can can prove that out and show that and still release the physician to do that frontline yeah. relational care. And I am seeing and a lot of companies that are focused on that, analytics companies yeah. that are yeah. focused yeah. on, um, I mean, the other big thing to really get the adoption of virtual care is more uh, med tech devices at a that are cost effective to bring into the home, yeah. more consumerized and yeah. do true, the next level telehealth telemedicine visit so a physician so, can really see the imaging yeah. in real time and well, listen and to the heart lugs and the reimbursability yeah. right yeah. the more of that you can yeah. do well that's yeah. why i think value based care is the right model because at the end of the day we're going to be motivated to take care of people not treat people and you know we're i remember when i was doing my training you know the first thing i asked is if i find more wrong with my patients i can charge more and everyone's like well you're not supposed to say that but yeah i'm like well that's pretty easy um, you know there's a lot of things that are diagnosable and we need to really get back to what healthcare was, I think, intended to do, which is make people live better, healthier lives and function better Longer in society, lives. right? Yeah. And, and right now, the U.S., you know, out of other OECD nations, we're dead last on 12 of 13 common quality measures. We're twice as expensive as any other system in the country. And yet, Americans, you know, being one of them, has this idea that whatever America does is fantastic. Must be the best. Must be the best, right? <laughs> must be the best. And if yeah. it looks pretty and we charge that much for it, it must be worth it. But actually, uh, Guy Bai from Johns Hopkins Carey School of Business has indicated in her most recent research that there is absolutely zero correlation with cost and quality in healthcare. And so, you know, part of the issue that I think we've got to really begin to address is the people who are paying for it are not at the table to discuss it and it's akin to saying hey i'm a cement company and i'm working with this huge home building company and the home builder company is just saying hey charge me whatever you want and if the foundation breaks charge me for that too for fixing it yeah. that's kind of what we have in healthcare. Yeah. uh so we've got to shift these incentives and in the way we're structured to get i think that transformative you know change that we're talking about yeah mm. absolutely so we touched on a little bit this evolution of the patient-provider relationship. You have a, a strong presence and voice in the social space, and one of the things I, you know, I know I've seen you posting about, especially lately, is you know sort of the the impact of business and policy yeah. on that patient-provider relationship. What concerns you most um, about the barriers and breakdowns and how patients are relationally cared for? We touched on a little bit of that. Clinicians are truly their head down yeah. and those EMRs and EHRs a lot yeah. of the time that you're with them. Um, what what can be done to address that? Well, Don't hold back, Roger. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we have the wrong people running health systems. Um, and I think the people who created the problem are not the people who want to solve that problem. Because um, they're not run by doctors. Well, it's not, it's not run by doctors, which in some cases the doctors are a part of it. But I'm not saying doctors are the right necessary people either. Um, and I'm not saying everybody who's running a health system is wrong. What I am saying is that I don't think they're fighting for the right things. Right. And um, healthcare, much like, you know, the government only requires two things for any American citizen to do. Get an education through a certain age and pay taxes, right? Those are the only two things you have to do in this country. Well, as a result, we need to start realizing keeping people healthy and well is also important to the vitality, the creativity, and the long-term sustainability of our country. I was talking to a, a board person at one of the health systems that I know quite well, 
and they're spending roughly a billion dollars on different things over the next couple of years. I said, take that billion dollars, put 500 million of it into healthy food in perpetuity for people who don't have access to healthy food. Take another 300 million and buy all the best mental health solutions you can and bring those into schools, bring those into communities, give people access to better health and nutrition, mental health and nutrition. And then take the 200 that's remaining and I want you to put up affordable housing. And that will go farther than any orthopedics hospital or cancer center you're gonna put up to make your community health system work. At the United States right now, the average, the employer is paying $1,500 a month per individual and about $2,000 a month for a family of four for premiums. $24,000 a year. Now, those are in high deductible plans. Those high deductible plans are anywhere from $5,000 to $12,000, $13,000 a year. So you're getting somebody who's paying roughly $37,000 a year before insurance kicks in. This is absolutely insane. And how do people who are starting out in their lives, newlyweds, people who are trying to get a fresh start from debt recovery, how do they take care of themselves? And are we going to punish people economically because they got sick? Are we going to punish people economically because they slipped on some ice and they had a head injury? Um, You know, I look at this, 62% of all bankruptcies in the United States are caused by the inability to pay medical bills. That's an absolute travesty for the greatest country in the world. It is, definitely. So let's pivot. That was amazing. Uh, Let's pivot to something we think can potentially impact that, because I know we're all passionate about disruptive tech, right? We hear a lot about disruptive tech in healthcare. I I always tell our team, you know, disruption, be careful with the word disruption. We like to throw it around. Um, The last thing healthcare probably needs is to actually be more disrupted um, and and actually need things to be simplified and streamlined and, and, and architected. Um, some might argue that anyway. Um, but there's no doubt that tech innovation will be the catalyst for a lot of what we're talking about. I don't think health systems change into what you're talking about without AI, without automation, without technology to do that. What are you seeing that's actually worth the hype? Because yeah. there's a lot of hype around tech, right? Yeah. Um, we hear when it comes to tech, and what do you think is going to have the greatest impact, both of you guys? Which, what do you think? I mean, I, I'll give a practical side, and I'll give a maybe a few years outside. Um, I think the practical side right now is knowing more about what's going on in our patients when they're not with us, right? Mm-hmm. So the monitoring is absolutely key. You know, you walk into your car, you know if your gas is full, your tires have air pressure, yeah. if your coolant needs air, you need more washer fluid. We don't know anything about our patients between visits. Um, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's in 2023. We need to change that. So I think the practical side is we need to use more of this data, and we have to get that data to talk to each other. Now, where do I think that goes in the future? I think that's where AI, machine learning, and all these things begin to put in predictive modeling about, you know, hey, we've seen, I'm making this up, obviously, out of the 1.2 million people who presented with this heart rate and this diet and this amount of stress, these were the things that happened to them, you know, 42% of the time. We might want to make take a look at that. That's ultimately where I think we get with this, and I think AI is going to play a really critical role. I think we have to be careful about keep saying AI, though. Um, I, I don't know if we're using a common definition for that. I don't know if people really know what AI is. Um, and as a result, by trying to be unique and powerful saying they're AI, they're actually, in my, in my view, diluting what AI is. Because, what do you think it is? Um, I'm not sure I have a great definition, but I think AI is something that continuously learns from large amounts of data and updates its information capabilities and processing by looking at uh, that data, not in a univariate, but in a multivariate manner. Right. So, and again, uh, could I draw that? Maybe better than I could explain it? Probably, but um, I think at the end of the day, it's not just we have an algorithm that if you're here, then it does this. 
right? That's not that interesting. What's interesting is, can it say, I'm looking at 48 different variables, and I understand how those variables interact, and the interaction of those variables is going to also maybe predict what's going to happen next. That's where I think it gets really interesting. There's the, the potential too, uh, I think with AI, to um, shift how much of the knowledge owner a doctor needs to be. Historically, yeah. physicians have always really been at the pinnacle position of holding all the knowledge, and all the decisions had to come from that, that expertise and yeah. that knowledge. When you layer AI into that, and there's a, a shared knowledge domain, um, there's both the potential for threat on physician practice, I think, but there's also this great ability to, to take burden off and say, guess what, you don't now need to be the only knower of all things. Yeah. You're going to have um, AI that's going to enable you with you know, inferencing predictive patterns, predictive modeling, all of those things that can actually alleviate you from having to be the one that owns all that. Yep. Then that scope of practice can be more shared across the clinical team, of course. Um, any thoughts on that? I, it, I yeah. think it's well, could doctors be transformative. Will let go of some of that, and I think, yeah, go, I think right? trust needs to be built yeah. on that. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I think you know about disruption. I mean, obviously, I think 5G is the biggest disruptor coming. But no, in all seriousness, I mean that. 5G will en enable taking advantage yeah. of that near real-time AI communication and with the clinician shortage, which I fear is only going to get worse and worse, yeah. we're really going to need those AI tools more and more, especially in rural communities where maybe they don't have those specialists yeah. and they can help yeah. be an aid. Um, and you know, even you know, bring, you know, when we have ubiquitous 5G connectivity, especially in the rural communities where we've invested heavily, right. by the way, for our C-band infrastructure, that will be game changing because yeah. we can really bring these technologies out there. But to me, it's also about the cumulative effect of taking everything we see here and collaborating and executing. Yeah, and I mean, I would add to that, Karen, yeah. and say that the way I look at it is, so when I went through training, you know, essentially we're diagnosticians, right? Because, you know, everyone gets credit for, oh, they put me on this, but some PhD in a lab did that somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, the, the new med device, somebody created it, one of these types of things that right. they built. And we're just implementing what others kind of have said in, in, in that respect. What I think we need to get back to is there is always going to be value in social emotional support that can be provided around the context that AI may tell us, right, right and share with us. Which it's not ever going to be able to do, probably. Well, we don't know that, right? Well, uh, yeah. We, didn't we think hope, we could, yeah. We're hoping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can we're in trouble yeah. with that. You could replace <laughs> some of my in-laws pretty yeah. easily with that. Um, oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. The, his in-laws are great. He loves yeah. his in-laws. He yeah. just said it right before this. Was I had to have a joke. Uh, no, I think, I think the reality is we are in a position where doctors, everyone has access to the same information. Now, when I was training, you know, I had to go to libraries, and if the article wasn't there, I had to request an interlibrary loan from yep. someplace else, wait for that, and then get it. The only thing that separated people was who had access to that information. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody has access to the same information now, and some people may think that's bad, and in some ways it probably is, but if you're disciplined and if you're objective and if you're truly trying to learn, I think it's great. Yeah. So I think, you know, we have to let go of we know everything, and um, nobody does, and I can tell you, uh, if we look at this reality-wise, that type of information should make practicing medicine or mental health or whatever you want to be in better. Better. 
right? Yeah. Because the parts that you can do that can't be replicated are the value that you're going to add. Yeah. So you really want to offload to AI yeah. those repetitive, yeah. calculative things that yeah. you don't, you know, clinicians and anyone else really in the care system, not even just clinicians and administrators, et cetera. I mean, there's so many people yeah. along that um, care continuum. I don't think I've heard a pilot complain about autopilot. Right? Yeah, no. no, I mean, <laughs> hey, it's you know, it's yeah, going to help true, me do my point. job better. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, to wrap up, what do you what are you seeing here at Hims? Anything uh, pique your interest, excite um, you? Uh, you know, in, in full disclosure, I've seen a couple of things that I, I won't mention. The companies, um, I'm pretty interested in the analytics side that I'm seeing, and there's a lot of really cool analytics that are coming out. Um, I think there's some great potential with some of the virtual reality pieces I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, I don't know where that goes. Um, I'm not sure if I thought it's a game and I'm still on my you know, Atari 2600 back in the 70s playing and I like it, or if there's actually got some use out of that. So I've got to think that through. I do think the one theme here is there's too much. Um, and we're at a point where you have the paradox of choice. Um, because there's so many pizza places to go to, I don't know which one to go to and I freeze. And I think I'm saying this at this conference that there's just too much. Yeah. And I think we need to figure out as an industry, what is it we really need? And how do we figure out how we're going to utilize that? But if a few of these companies get a couple of users and they built the best technology, they'll still go out of business. Yeah. So how do we make sure that we can figure out which companies are the best and can be scaled? And right now, I, I walk around here and you can get lost and not found for days. And I'm not sure that's a great way to, to think about healthcare. It's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. No, I was just saying that exact thing to someone earlier on the way back over to, to our booth here, that if you're a health system, how do you take all of this in you can't. and decide? I mean, yeah. it's just over. That's part of my job. I'm walking around to yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm struggling. Yeah, yep. yeah. It, um, you know, the, the good side of that, and what I guess what I like most is, you know, just all these smart people here coming together, sitting here with you know yeah. Roger PhD MDs data scientists yep. etc everybody that's here technology entrepreneurs that really are with good intentions yep. trying to solve it yep. but like like let's get on with it already then 100% yeah yeah, yeah, there, yeah there's a lot of um, I would like to say arm waving yeah. <laughs> look at me look at me um, you know, at the end of the day... We don't do any of that here at the <laughs> no, yeah. no, I bet not. I didn't mean you by any stretch. No, uh, but what I think we need is we need employers here. Uh, yeah. and, and we need people who are patients here. And I just, I don't think that we're doing this the right way. If we were to say, hey, let's start all over healthcare, we wouldn't build what we have here. We build it very, very differently. And my hope is that, you know, there's with groups like Verizon, who I think are really important, because you're not or haven't been traditionally a healthcare company, yeah. but you have capabilities that can help the healthcare industry. You guys are one of the organizations I'm looking at saying, let's go, right? Let's yeah. get this let's thing going. Yeah. All right, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm excited about groups like that. Thought provoking for sure. Wow. But yeah. we will end on that note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on that powerful note, uh, Dr. Jameson, thank you so much for being here. This has yeah. been a really great conversation. Karen, of course, thank you for joining. Thank you. Love having you guys here and um, exploring what we're what we're going to do together and how yeah. we how, how Now I get the free bottle. You, you get a free bottle. You can't have she mine. She drank out of that yeah. one. But, um, yeah. They're paying me off, people. We will get one for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put some bourbon in yours. Yeah. 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 There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
All right, guys. All thank right. you so much for joining us. Uh, again, if you're here at the Hem Show, we will be here tomorrow uh, till tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Come by and see us in booth 4048. We'd love to show you some solutions, uh, talk to you about private 5G and networks and how we're you know, enabling some of the things we talked about here. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or find the video version of these on our page at marketscale.com. Look for Healthcare On Air by Verizon. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you later. Mm -hmm.